You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 94, covering Remember Me and Legacy. Hello, friends. We have some crap for you this week. Oh, my God. You know what I was thinking, Matt? I was thinking the show's starting to get really good. Like I've been saying over and over again, season three got great. We we kicked off season four with some really great episodes. Mm -hmm. What we really need to do is follow up on some dangling plot threads from season one. The best season. Yeah, featuring characters that we all really care about, you know? Characters that we care about or distant relatives. Well, okay, close relatives to people we care about. Mm -hmm. Uh, no. Aren't you excited? Uh, no. No. I'm not. Ugh. What's what's the word? What's the opposite of excited? Um, underwhelmed? There you go. I am, I am definitely underwhelmed by this entire endeavor. There needs to be, like, one of those German words that describes a very specific emotional state, because I need more than underwhelmed. I need, like, unterwhelmed. Unter, I like I like that. Unterwhelmed. Unterwhelmed, I think, maybe. I don't know. If we had our friend Irene handy, she's she's traveling right now, but mm. if we had her handy, there's always very specific words in German that describe things that there are no words in English for. And I think having to watch two bad episodes of Star Trek in a row, there must be a German word for that, mm-hmm. right? Someone is definitely schadenfreuding us. I know that much. Yes, exactly. Well, we got to do this thing. This is the job we signed up for. Signed One... up for nothing. You put a bag on my head and I woke up in front of an episode of The Cage. Yeah, well, and then I made you watch it six times. Yes. Because they made us watch it six times. That's That one's not my fault. Remember The Cage? Mm, yeah, remember The Cage I put you in while you watched The Cage? <laughs> I don't like that cage. Oh, Vina was in there with you. It was fine. No, and and the thing is, I really, I truly believe one day we're going to look back on this week that we did, uh, remember me and legacy, and we're going to say, "Wow, remember that? That just wasn't so bad at all." No, boy, it get... sure is a shame that we're hip deep in Voyager. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to make a, you know good progress in Voyager. My prediction is, we'll make it a couple of seasons. We'll just laugh at how bad it is, or we'll say, "Okay, this isn't as bad as we thought." And then by season three or four, it'll be like, "Oh my god, how is this not over yet?" We're still doing this. Yeah. All right, enough, enough. So a uh, horrible vision of the future for you people at home. Uh, and then Enterprise. <laughs> Hopefully by then we'll get this long-promised uh, animated series they keep hinting at. And Hopefully then we'll have something. Hopefully I'll be dead. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> you signed a contract and that does not end with your death. You're not getting out of it that easy. In contract in blood. Damn right. Like a Kiss comic. Ugh. All right, we've stalled long enough. Why don't you tell us about Remember Me? All right, fine. So Beverly welcomes her dear old friend Ponda Baba, better known as Walrus <laughs> Face, a doctor she used to intern for back before the series started. After dropping him off at his cabin, she goes to visit Wesleyan Engineering, where the King of Children has enraged Geordi, no mean feat, by dicking about with the warp engines. A flash goes off, and nothing happens. Beverly returns to Walrus Face to have breakfast, only to discover that she is, that he has vanished, like so much Hollow Man 2. <laughs> Worf and his security friends give the Enterprise the once-over, but find no trace of Beverly's fish-smelling friend, nor indeed any trace that he was ever in Starfleet at all. As the day goes on, Beverly notices that her entire medical staff, including resident hot Vulcan Dr. Silar, has disappeared, and everyone oh, no. seems to be fine with that. Captain Picard sees no problem with it, seeing as how he is responsible for the lives of about 200 crew members and swiftly dropping. As more extras disappear, Beverly starts to question her sanity. 
especially when she reports to Captain Picard, and he finds it perfectly logical that they are the only two crew members on the flagship of the Federation. Meanwhile, in the real world, it turns out that Wesley's stupid engine dickering has sent Beverly into a pocket reality that is disappearing a person at a time. He doesn't know what to do, so it's a good thing that noted space hippie the Traveler shows up to teach him the ways of the Force like his father before him, and he uses the magic of typing with his eyes closed to bring his mother safely home. Fun fact. Troy vanishes from the Enterprise and her disappearance changes literally nothing. <laughs> Matt, I gotta ask, I usually don't make fun of your typos on the show. Mm-hmm. But in, in your summary and in your notes, you type Bever several <laughs> times instead of Beverly. Is that some sort of subconscious thing? Or uh, did you the just... The actual, the correct pronunciation is Be- is Beaver. Ah, very well. Is that a, some kind of a Canadian reference then? Sure, why not? No, it's it's just, you know how to spell Beverly. I saw it up there. But mm-hmm. you spell it Bever like four or five times in this document. <laughs> Well, the thing is, when you're trying to type quickly, you start making, uh, you start making... Well, sure, you make mistakes, but you made the same mistake, which leads me to believe it's deliberate. Well, and the other thing is that once you've typed Beverly a whole bunch of times, you get sick of it. Ah, so you just sort of start abbreviating. Mm Mm-hmm. I get it. Dr. Mom would actually not take very many letters. No, that's true. Just Accurate, too. Yeah. Uh, Once again, we're we're straying from the point, because I don't want to talk about this This is a... Fuck of an episode, man. Well, let's, let's just go into your good thing, bad thing. Ugh. Okay, so th- my good thing is this episode starts off really strong. It feels like it might be an actual mystery as Crusher's friend vanishes. Mm-hmm. Could be? Could they bring up that O'Brien might have done something? Could oh, he no, be hiding? No. That's like, not Could O'Brien's he be hiding fault. something or like have something have been done to him? No way. It gets not more O'Brien. and more interesting as more and more crew members vanish. We start to lose actual like cast members. Mm-hmm. Worf disappears and no one remembers that we used to have a Worf. Right. And then the universe itself starts vanishing. It's fascinating. It is. Unfortunately, my bad thing is that the episode gets completely whizzed down its leg at the beginning, or at the end. Uh, The real tension in the mystery is with Beverly on the Pocket Enterprise, and as soon as we leave the Pocket Enterprise, we know that everyone else is fine, and it's pretty easy to figure out what happened. Yep. Especially since everyone keeps explaining it over and over and over again. And then the Traveler shows up as a complete deus ex machina, to unlock the magic power in Wesley. Ugh. The force doesn't work in Star Trek. No, it doesn't. Look, he could they could have any explanation for why this all gets fixed. Having a magic man show up and have the king of all children use his powers of typing invisibly to bring <laughs> her back is just stupid. Yeah, and and like you say, the the mystery of Beverly trying to figure out why the crew is disappearing and why all that, it's actually kind of a cool story. And Mm -hmm. for once, Beverly gets a story that doesn't involve being a mom, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Uh, First of all, I would say Gates McFadden can't really carry the acting. Nope. Uh, and that was actually one of my bad things. Uh, I, let, let's just go into this. Don't go out Uh, of order. What are you, Amanda? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, the only good thing I could think of is toward the end, uh, it's just Beverly in the computer talking, and and she's surrounded by a tiny bubble of the universe that's sort of compacting into itself, uh, which is actually pretty cool. And she asks the computer, what is the nature of the universe? Mm-hmm. And the, the computer replies something like, the universe is a sphere that's 10 meters across or something like that. Yep. that that's the best I could come up with. That was pretty fun. I like that. That's the universe. Yep. Uh, my bad thing, as you say, keep your fucking magic out of my science fiction show. Mm-hmm. What are you, Brandon Braga? Ugh. Ugh. 
Also, Gates McFadden can't carry the whole doubting her sanity story. She's got some good moments. But... Yeah, there's a couple of great moments on the uh, like on the bridge to Picard when she just starts breaking down and just okay, let me let me see if I've got this straight in my head. You and I are on the biggest ship in the in the Federation, mm-hmm. just cruising around the space together. And he's like, it's always been fine before. Yeah, and we're the only two people here. Yep. What's wrong with that? Why would that be an issue? Uh, hmm. But yeah, there's there's a point where she sort of slumps over in a chair and she's like, they can't all be gone. <laughs> and it's like, you know who's a better actor on this uh, in this cast than you? Everyone. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, uh, not And great. also, after everyone started disappear, like, after everyone else has vanished, it's just her on the bridge of the Enterprise. She just mm-hmm. starts talking to herself. Yeah. And Which, it's a really, like, it's a really stupid way of, of, like, letting the audience know what's happening. See, I don't know. When you're stuck like that, like, when when she started talking to the computer, at least, it was a little better. But mm. when you have a character by themselves, you do have to start straining the, the, the credible, like, straining what someone would normally do in a dramatic scene just to keep it interesting. You can't just walk, you know, watch her walking around. I mean, even in Castaway, you had Tom Hanks talking to a volleyball. You there need- you go. Well, she's <laughs> get her a volleyball. No, but the volleyball vanished out of existence. That's the problem. Mm. Or, like, have her talk to the computer. It's there, and she does it a few times. Well, and, there, and there was an extended sequence of that, and I did like that. Mm. Because the computer's just telling her this nonsense. And she's like, that can't be right. What? Mm. No. But, okay, let's talk about how it actually happened. You said they explained it over and over again, which they did. But I don't know how many times they could explain it. It still did not make sense no, to me. No, it still was a st- it was still stupid. Yeah, but let's let's actually dissect what they did okay wesley's messing around with some warp experiment some uh-huh. kind of warp bubble thing which i get he's you know he's moved beyond school projects and he's starting to get into theoretical physics and i can see him doing something kind of advanced like that yeah sure because uh, you know he's a smart kid for all our problems with him he's a smart kid and beverly happens to be standing in engineering mm-hmm. and what does he do he creates a warp bubble that only affects her yep and sends her to a reality that's created by her own mind it's like is that correct? Get, is that my what is it? It creates a reality that of whatever she was imagining when it hit her, and she was ta- thinking about how Walrus' face was sad and alone because his wife was dead. Right, and, and so she creates a universe exactly like the Enterprise that she was just from on with all of the people on it, who apparently she knows well enough to just create a reality based like a completely perfect reality. And then they start disappearing. I cannot stand stories where an entire reality is created through someone's dreams or through someone's mind. Or I just don't buy that. I no, mean, the holodeck minds sure. aren't that like no perfect. Exactly. Perfect. When when data starts dreaming, it's all very surreal, and I do mm-hmm. like that because it's all it's not. You can tell it's not real, and it's weird. And that's what dreams should be like. Mm-hmm. But, and this isn't a dream, exactly. Not a dream, not an imaginary story. <laughs> no, this genuinely happened. We're sad yeah, about that. Yeah, we wish it was not true. But I just, th- there is no, even even technobabble explanation for someone's mind creating an alternate reality. It just doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. And then the fucking traveler just appears because they think of him. Yeah, he literally just poofs, just like poofs well, well, they there. start. Hi, they, Wesley. I'm here to help you. Well, Me they start and my talking three fingers. about him. They, they, my goat hooves. <laughs> we talked about that back in season one. He's got goat hooves. Oh yeah. Um, but no, it's it's. <sighs> Wesley starts talking about, well, this is beyond me. I think it must be like the Traveler. And then they all start clapping because they believe in him, and he mm-hmm. appears. That's not... Oh, and then at some point, Beverly, as the universe is shrinking around her, makes a, a fucking Wizard of Oz reference. Yep. 
Are they still watching The Wizard of Oz in the future, really? I actually buy that Beverly, of anyone, is still watching The Wizard of Oz in the well, future. She, she does tap dance. Of anyone on that, of, of anyone on that crew. Well, and we, we see later on that she does stage, you know, uh, productions and possibly musicals on the Enterprise. And so she probably would know a classic musical like that. You're right. Ugh. But I, I and I like The Wizard of Oz. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Star Trek generally steers clear of contemporary references. And, and while that's a 50 year old movie, it's still the 20th century. And they mm. don't they don't usually talk about our music. They don't usually talk about our movies. They, t they try to not date the show by doing that. It was Except a little with, weird. Uh, Riker and his jazz. Yeah, but that's jazz. In like, that's a genre of music that is probably still around in the 24th century. Mm. It's not not quite the same. He doesn't talk about Duke Ellington and Miles Davis and stuff like that. He just says jazz. That's true. But so she creates this reality with her mind, mm -hmm. and then the traveler poofs in and says, "Wesley, you have to help me believe this warp field away." And then you're right. They type with, with their eyes closed. They both sort of flicker in and out of existence, and then Beverly poofs back. Yeah, it's, liter it's literally like, like he was using the Force, except it was stupid. Except they try to dress it up in science. Yeah. They try to say, like they did in the, in the first season. And we forgave it in the first season because it was the first season and it was just dumb. Yeah, you have no excuse anymore. No, it's season four and we should know better now. Mm -hmm. And they're still talking about this whole where time and space and mind collide. Yeah, you know where that happens? The Twilight Zone. Not yeah. in Star Trek. Perhaps you'd like to go through this floating door. And the thing is, I like it in shows like The Twilight Zone or X-Files or anything that deals with nebulous pseudoscientific mind stuff like i'm okay with that kind mm -hmm. of story i just don't like it in star trek no it doesn't work in star trek because star trek is so based around i mean a type of science at least yeah and even when you get into the crazy techno babbly you know uh reroute the tachyon field through the main deflector dish to the eps conduits there is a kernel of science there they did base a lot of their stuff on at least contemporary scientific stuff. And uh, somebody like our pal English Gav who reads up on modern physics could look at that and say, well, that's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. But in the early 90s, it was. They actually, like Stephen Hawking was in an episode, they actually talked to him from time to time to see would this be possible theoretically, you know, that sort of thing. They had real scientists checking in, so it wasn't just made up crap. Mm -hmm. But I am positive there was no one, no scientist signed off on this and said, sure. What if a wizard showed up and told Wesley what to do? Uh, would he have a pointy hat? No, he'd have goat hooves. All right. That, that makes Sold. him science. Yeah. Uh, no. Thanks, science wizard. Now, I like your Panda Baba reference because who doesn't love a reference to uh, one of the original aliens from the cantina scene? Yep. But his actual name was just as stupid. It was a very Star Warsy name. Dalen oh, Quace. Dalen Quace. That is like, uh, what? That's not a real name. No, that's definitely a Star Wars name. It absolutely is. He's like Red Six or something. <laughs> Brown one. <laughs> There's. I, I, I was mentioning when you were talking about it possibly being O'Brien's fault. There is no way. No, of course not. Come on, O'Brien didn't fuck this up. Somebody else did. No, I love. that's Beverly's first thing. It's like, well, maybe O'Brien is hiding something. Oh, no, honey. <laughs> now, we really need to talk about it because this episode for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, like the first half of it was her just going on and on about things going wrong. And everyone believes her. Nobody thinks to question her once. Well, I, I feel like they shouldn't be, at least at first. because uh, like At first, yes. She's got, like, you know, she's been a member of this crew for, like, four years. She's been, she's good friends with the captain. Yeah, I, I get that. Like, but... they have no reason to, at all to doubt her. 
No, but after, like I say, after it goes on for so long, mm -hmm. and they're at red alert, and they're going back to the starbase they were on, and all this stuff changing the mission and affecting the crew, like, maybe she's going, like, there's only one common element here, and it's Beverly. Maybe mm -hmm. the problem's with her. Maybe she's cracking a little. You know what I mean? Like, nobody even thinks to say, maybe she's crazy. Not once. Nope. It's, I understand they trust her and anyone in the senior crew, like if Worf had said it or Riker had said it, they'd be the same way. Mm -hmm. But nobody even thinks to say, eh, honey, I'm sorry. No, none of this checks out. You need to go have a little lie down, maybe. It's like, look, if the computers say that there's something, that there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And all of us say that there's nothing and wrong. And data says that there's nothing Why wrong. Why are you the one that's right? Right. No, and, and that's simple that's simple logic. You, you rule out everything except the one common element, which is Beverly babbling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beverly Crusher. Ugh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there, were, there were a couple of times where this weird portal thing appeared, and it looked like there were flashes of light off screen and a, and a like loud sound effect, and it sounded like the DeLorean was appearing in front of her. <laughs> Just, you know. And I expected Doc Brown to walk out and say, Beverly, you've got to go back. To the future! I live in the future. Oh. Oh. Bye, then. Well, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so my notes are like, all caps, created her own reality. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> Your thoughts don't affect anything. Ah! What is happening? Oh, and then uh, when they're in when they're in engineering and they're, they're, you know, typing with boxing gloves on, it really didn't, did it not look like they had a Ouija board there, really? Yeah, it completely did. Like, if you just stuck a Ouija board between the two of them, it would have looked it, it would have looked exactly the same. And it would have made just as much sense. Yep. Oh, great spirit of the Enterprise. Yeah. Please bring my mommy home. Uh, and the thing is, in season seven, my favorite season, uh, the, the Enterprise will have a spirit. So there's uh. that. Yeah. I just, again, and maybe some people like this kind of episode, and uh, more power to you, I don't like when a science fiction show does things that are no in no way plausible by science. Yeah. I just don't like it. I don't like when they turn into stuff. I don't like when there's magic. I, I just don't like it. And and again, some people do, and I'm not, you know, it, this is yeah. just not my kind of episode at all. Uh, oh, there was there was one point where Beverly's asking the computer, when did I start here? What ship is this? Mm -hmm. uh, which Enterprise am I on? And the computer says there have been five ships named Enterprise. And uh, you know what that is? That's the Enterprise, uh, the original 1701 ABC and D. A, B, C, D. You, you notice what isn't there? Yeah. Fuck no, I like Bacula. that we both made a note of that in, yep. our, like in, our, in our show notes. See that? You see Bacula? Yep. Five enterprises. Yep. Not six. And and the fucking the, the loophole, the, the little well actually technicality is well they weren't Starfleet yet. They weren't the Federation yet, so it doesn't count. Fuck you. Fuck you. It was a starship and it was called the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. It went what warp five or something. That counts as a starship. Yep. I mean if you're gonna if Picard's thing on the wall has the, the aircraft carrier on it. Mm. It should have. The, it should also have the what NX. They, what is it, the NX Enterprise? Yeah, because NX is uh, the experimental, not a full ship yet. Like the uh, the Excelsior in Star Trek Three was NX. Mm. Okay. Like before, you know, while they're still testing it before it becomes an official part of the fleet, it's NX, okay. which you know that's fine. What else? Ugh, I don't know. I just the whole thing is dis was just disappointing to me because it, it starts reasonably strong. No, and I love dramatically. Her questioning her sanity. Here's the thing. Elements of this episode will be done so much better in other episodes. Mm -hmm. There's uh, the not just cloaked phased episode where uh, Jordy and Roe 
come back <laughs> to the ship. ghosts? Yeah, exactly. They come back to the ship and nobody can see them and they think they're dead. Am I a blind ghost? Which is, <laughs> wouldn't I have gotten my sight back? Really? Come on, God. I've been waiting a long time for this. What the fuck, God? That's that's just cruel. <laughs> but no, that's sorry, that, Jordy. That's a similar concept to me, like where uh, nobody else realizes what's going on and and mm-hmm. they're kind of not exactly questioning their sanity, but they're they're presented with a mystery like that. Uh, another similar one is. Uh, when Worf keeps bouncing between uh, alternate realities. Yeah, that's another great one where it's like, okay, yeah, it no, this shouldn't be – this has got to be me. Yeah. But, and, of course, that episode, the shorthand for that to any of us is three seconds of dialogue, which is, the Borg are everywhere. We all yep. remember that. <laughs> oh, the Borg are everywhere episode, of course. Oh, uh, yeah. Ragged, raggedy Riker. <laughs> Riggedy Raggedy Riker. No, like, the, but I keep wanting to get back to this just because the kernel of this episode is really cool. I yeah. like there's this weird dreamlike quality to it that I really identify with, which is just that everything is wrong, and I am the only one that sees that, and well, that is impossible. That's what I'm saying. And and there was one more episode that was similar to this. And again, it's seven seasons, twenty four episodes a season. You're gonna repeat yourself. Yeah. But I can think of three episodes that did this concept or something like this concept so much better. Mm-hmm. And the third one is called Frame of Mind, where Riker's in the play and he keeps doubting what's real. Yep. And he keeps shattering and he keeps, like, going to different, you know, versions of reality. Those three all do a similar thing where people are questioning what's going on and, and things are crazy and the ship is different. Yeah. But they do it so much better than this. Because there are scientific explanations. It's not just a magic thing. Yeah. Oh, there's the bit where most of the main the main crew have disappeared, and Troy's or uh, Troy uh, Crusher's pointing. No, Worf, he's he's like this, and and uh, Data, he's like this, and Troy, she likes chocolate. That is literally the only thing she. Okay, she Riker, that's it. Riker, he likes jazz. He likes to cook. He likes to play poker. Like five things about him he's that are great interesting. At poker, you know yeah. him. Yeah, he, you call him number one. And then Troy, she likes chocolate, and she has a, a bad mother. Like You're afraid of her mother. Yeah. That, that Troy literally has one line about her in the show Bible at this point, and it's, she likes chocolate. I don't understand why I would have such a person on my crew. She doesn't seem like she'd be very useful at all. <laughs> Can't imagine why it would be good to have her mother on board. I mean, I mean that other guy, that Will Riker, he sounds interesting and well-rounded <laughs> fellow. But... He sounds like a stand-up guy and an android. I'm intrigued by this. And a Klingon on the bridge. That could be interesting. I like those guys. All of this is a really good idea. Except... The, the chocolate liker. Can we get rid of her? It's She's also psychic, sort of. Eh. Does she do anything useful? Well, no. no. <laughs> it feels like those powers would have to be written out of our adventures too often to make them work. <laughs> no, I can't see how that would work at all. No. So, yeah, what else? I think that's it as far as I got, unless you got anything else. Yeah, I'm just giving my notes a one-over. Oh, I did have a note, uh... As the as the mist is sort of descending on her, and the and the show and the and the ship is disappearing, the show is disappearing. <laughs> I would have liked that if it would have just gotten kind of meta, and as it enclosed her, just we go to the credits. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the show's over. No, um, I, I, it looked like the nothing from uh, Never Ending Story. <laughs> oh yes, I got that, and in a good way, actually. In yeah, that feeling that she's just been enclosed by nothingness, and it's all going away. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, up, just the very idea of the universe, yeah. like, closing in around her is a very cool, no, very they, weird idea. If they'd taken that thread and come up with a more plausible scientific explanation and not brought the Traveler and Wesley into it, mm-hmm. 
As Amanda pointed out when we watched this together, of course Beverly's only solo story is caused by Wesley because, once again, her only thing is that she's a mom. It occurred to me while I was watching the end of this episode, Wesley's romantic interest is his mom. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of thing that he should be like, his girlfriend should have disappeared or something. Yeah. And then when he saves her, they passionately embrace. And instead... Yeah. He Ugh. hugs his mom for five minutes in front of all the senior crew. Mm-hmm. Mommy! <laughs> there, there's a there's definitely a bit of mother boy going on there. Yep. Definitely oh, a bit of, you know. Boy. <laughs> also, that ending was super abrupt. Oh, yeah. She gets and back to hug fine. and then smash cut to the credits. Normally, I'd complain about that, but good. <laughs> Captain, how many people are on this ship? All uh, of them. Including your friend. The end. Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Well, that's great. Produced by Gene Roddenberry. Uh, Anything else? No. All right. Why don't you tell me your quote and we can put this out of our minds. All right. My quote is uh, Beverly summing up Worf's character. I'd like Lieutenant Worf to program onboard sensors to monitor all personnel. If we can catch the moment. Sorry. Whom did you say? Worf. Chief of Security. The big guy who never smiles. The Klingon. Yeah, see, that's much better than likes chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's actually the big guy accurate. never smiles. Yep, that's, that's totally accurate. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's talk about legacy, where we will wish that we were watching Remember Me. That's how bad. Oh it is. man. So we open with probably the best poker game seen yet. Riker, Data, Worf, and Troy are in mid-game, and the stakes are high. Troy appears to have folded long ago, or maybe she's just here as part of Riker's plan to distract the other players with her cleavage. Worf naturally is doing poorly and folds. Oh, Worf, we love you, but are you good at anything, honestly? (laughs) Data, on the other hand, seems to have picked up a few things about poker faces and bluffing, and when we enter the story, the chips are evenly split between him and Billy Boy. In a magnificent upset, Data wins the day, impressing impressing his human, semi-human, and not-at-all-human peers. Riker is gracious, but also sneaky, uh, and challenges Data to go double or nothing on a Find the Red Queen game like so much Penn and Teller. Data agrees, and number one pulls some fantastic sleight of hand that impresses everyone, except that Data, having read Cruel Tricks for Dear Friends, sees right <laughs> through the ruse and calls him out on his cheap carny tricks. Data wins the day, takes all the chips, and presumably cashes them out to buy himself a cat, whom we'll meet <laughs> a few episodes from now. Oh, and then the Enterprise goes to Planet Rape Camp, where they meet Tasha Yar's long-lost who-gives-a-fuck sister who lives in a grimy underground city with pipes and steam, collaborates with a bunch of filthy, filthy mulleted rebels, and betrays the crew. I think we're meant to feel bad for Data, whom fake Tasha makes some kind of special connection with or something, but I choose to believe he spent the entire episode thinking about what to name his new cat. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. See, I like that review because we got through it as quickly as possible. Well, I focused on the good part, which actually my good thing is the opening poker game because it was the best scene of that yep. that they've done yet. That's great. And it gives you so much about those characters. And seeing Data learn and adapt and not just always be the naive one that can't read humans. Like he's gotten better. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the thread of him developing and studying them and getting better at it. That's cool. Now, I love when he first whips out his poker face. Yep. And it's, it's silly. Face. It's silly, but it's also effective. Yeah. And once again, Deanna is great when she's playing light, when she's not playing super serious, when she's just kind of joking and hanging out. And she, I like her then. 
Mm-hmm. She's likable and interesting, and she, she when plays she's it well. fun, she's great. Yeah, absolutely, and she especially plays great with Frakes. Like the mm. two of them have really good chemistry, where they're kind of teasing each other, and you can tell they're old friends. And it's it's fantastic. Uh, my bad thing. Where to start? Fucking mullety fucking rebels and their fucking underground fucking cities with their fucking pipes and fucking steam and fucking rape fucking camps. Why do we even care about Tasha's sister, honestly? Well, I think you may have outcursed me. Yeah, well, yeah. <sighs> ah, it's the same thing again, except now we have a character we completely don't care about. Here's the thing. I was going to put this in my summary before I decided to ignore the entire episode and just focus on the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's Enterprise... Okay, first of all, back in... Uh, what, what was it? Skin of Evil. Mm-hmm. You know, Armus. Yeah. Um... Tasha went out like a bitch, and everyone knew it, and it was terrible. So they wrote yesterday's Enterprise. You know what? Tasha deserves better. Let's give her a proper send-off, and, and let's just tie this, you know, loose end up. Now she got a good death. She was noble. She was likable briefly. Mm-hmm. This is good. And and then, of course, they fuck that up later when they bring her Romulan rape baby into it. Ugh. But for now, it's like, we're done with that. We feel bad about Tasha, but she's gone, and, and we got her, gave her a good send-off. Now we're picking that scab open again for no apparent reason, so we can feel bad about Tasha again through her sister, who is just... Uh, who cares? Yeah. We've already said goodbye to Tasha twice. We don't need this. Like, of all the things... And again, we're following up on something from season one. Season one's gone, and we're trying to forget it. Mm-hmm. Why? We, Why? We've moved into cool things happening now, theoretically, every week. Yes, not rape camp plan. Worf even says to Beverly at one point, uh, you, you shouldn't go down there because there's rape gangs. Ugh. Like, you, you think we're exaggerating this whole rape camp, rape gang thing, but they talk about it a lot. They do. It just keeps coming up. It's not us using rape as a, as a cheap punchline, as a shock line. It mm-hmm. really does get mentioned. And it's particularly jarring because Star Trek doesn't say the word rape. No. Because Star Trek is mostly supposed to be fun. Yeah. And, you know, not to go out on too far of a limb here, but rape's not fun, you guys. No. So, yeah, I just, uh, it's it's the combination of we didn't need to come back to Tasha and her, her legacy again. And for them to, they really, they trusted her because she was Tasha's sister and they missed Tasha. Mm. was really the emotional thread there. Which makes sense. It does, but we didn't need that. Like I said, we've already dealt with Tasha's death. And between that and it is once again a, a mullety rebel who cares who wins their two factions warring. Let them, let them war. Who cares? Now, of course, they have taken hostage a couple of Starfleet guys they want to get back. Yeah. But apart from that, ugh, I just don't care. I don't care about any planet's struggle between two warring factions. I just don't care. They even say that the Federation has no jurisdiction there. It's like, okay, get your guys and go the fuck home. Yeah. Um, go seek out some new life and new civilizations, for yes. God's sake. <laughs> Boldly go somewhere that isn't here. Men have been here before, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there was this, uh, a, a tiny, tiny thread of a good idea there, which is they were originally a Federation colony that rebelled and became their own thing. Okay. That could be neat if you did it a, a, a whole other way. Mm-hmm. But the idea of someone originally spreading out as part of the Federation and then saying, fuck you, we want to be our own thing. Yep. There's, there's a way that, to write that. That would raise the, the question of why exactly you want to break away from the Federation. Yeah, what's, what's wrong with us? We're great. And then you could do a nice exploration of, well, maybe the future isn't as perfect as we think, and blah, blah, blah. Except of course, Gene won't allow that sort of thing. Well, Gene's almost dead by this point. Good. And, and I don't, again, I don't say that as a shock line either. I, honestly, by season four, he was in failing health. He wasn't really contributing anything to the show. 
and you're starting to see more conflict. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's a coincidence. I think as Gene sort of became hands off, as he was, you know, as his health was failing, the writers started saying, well, that's too bad. But here's what was wrong with the show. And now we can finally get something yeah. in here that's, you know, I mean, continuity Riker, marches on, however. Yeah. Riker and Shelby, for instance. Yeah. I don't think that ever would have happened if Gene was like looking over everyone's shoulder. Mm hmm. Is too much we can't have two Starfleet officers in conflict with each other. No, that doesn't the make any sense. They're best of friends. And the thing is, they're both good people. Mm-hmm. They're just in conflict with each other. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do you got? All right. So my good thing, my only good thing about this episode, there is some tremendous acting from Spiner uh, at the moment where I can't remember her actual name. I kept calling her Atasha. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's uh, Ishara. Oh, yeah. Too many goddamn A's in the Yar family. Yeah. I, I, I like to think she's called Ashara because it sounds like Ishtar, which is a movie that failed. I found out that uh, Ashara is Tasha with the T taken off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Atasha. I like, you just kept calling her Atasha. That's good yes. enough. Fine. Call her that. Atasha. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when she actually betrays Data, he for a, he Spiner plays it so well. He does. For a guy who is supposed to have no emotions, he is very clearly completely heartbroken and just completely betrayed. But he also doesn't play it like a poorly written, like, uh, now he has emotions suddenly. Like, there's a, th- it feels like he doesn't have emotions, but he's still like, hey, wait a minute. It's like, what? It's it's that whole naivety thing that uh, the, the data plays really well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, he thinks things are supposed to be one way and they're a different way. And he might not have actual feelings, but it conflicts with what he expected, and it's he's confused. And yeah, I like no, that. There, there's also a neat little moment where he explains to Atasha how, like, how he can have friends without emotions. Well, and that's actually my quote. So we'll go oh, ahead and okay, play well, that I'll here. Okay, well, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll, it's, we'll a, go... it's a great little moment. Let's let's play that here. All right. Are you able to have friends? Yes. But you don't have feelings, do you? Not as such. However, even among humans, friendship is sometimes less an emotional response and more a sense of familiarity. So you can become used to someone. Exactly. As I experience certain sensory input patterns, my mental pathways become accustomed to them. The input is eventually anticipated and even missed when absent. Yeah, that's and, – and what's odd is – and I don't remember the episode. We'll get to it. Uh, Troy at one point actually repeats this this uh, speech. I don't remember who she's talking to. I don't remember what episode it's in. But I remember Troy saying, have you ever heard Data explain what friendship is? And then she gives this speech. And it's mm-hmm. very cool because I, I get the feeling he's told everyone this at some point. <laughs> Let me just take you aside for a moment and tell you why we're friends. Yeah. No, but I like that. And it makes sense. It makes mm-hmm. sense that an android who's trying to mimic humans uh, develops this natural thing that a computer would actually, you know, think yeah. and turns it into something vaguely emotional. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So your bad thing? Ugh. I I don't know if this episode would have been better if I if I hadn't known that Atasha was a traitor right from the beginning. Now but you knew I just, that because I spent the entire episode just and then she betrays them and then she betrays them. Okay, now and did, then she betrays. Did them. you know this because you'd seen the episode before because you read it in an episode guide or what? I'd seen it years and years ago. Ah, see, I knew it. I mean, I knew it anyway. Mm-hmm. But the first time I watched it without any other prior knowledge, I knew it anyway because it's obvious. Mm-hmm. It, and and you don't you can't really have that objectivity because you you know you already knew. 
Mm -hmm. But it is super obvious. It's just, okay, obviously, because they trust her too easily. And and she uh, she's got something going on, and it's from maybe Act Two on. It's like okay, yeah, now do it now, okay now, and then she does it, and it's like just of hurry up. All of this is completely interminable. We know. Just waiting and waiting and waiting for them to go on their stupid heist or whatever. Yeah, there was. Oh. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> I also enjoy whenever they beam down and are just all in a circle with their phasers. Oh, up. I like that actually. I like that quite a bit. Where they're all on defensive posture and ready to, you know, yeah. ready for action. That's neat. I mean, it's another looks... one of those things that just feels uniquely Star Trek to me for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, beaming is pretty much uniquely Star Trek. Hmm? Well, yes. So that, you know, that definitely helps. Um, okay, so I think uh, Ishara is actually fairly attractive. Mm-hmm. I think between her hair and her outfits, not so much. Now, let, let, here's a point of discussion. Whose hair is worse, Tasha's or her sister's? Ooh, she's got a female-it going on. I gotta go with uh, with Tasha's, just because uh, she had so many different types of terrible haircuts. Yeah, but I'm talking about her main haircut, the one she had the most, like mm. her primary. When you think of her, what her hair looked like? Not the spit curl in in Naked Time, and not uh, in in Yesterday's Enterprise, but the standard haircut that she had. Mm. No, I still have to go with Tasha's. I uh, definitely Ashara for me because, like I said, she's got the the girl mullet thing going on. She's got a headband. She mm-hmm. really looked like she was waiting to return to the set of Flashdance. <laughs> See, I find that attractive. Uh, I found it attractive in 1990, mm-hmm. but it has not aged well at all. Now, the outfits she was in for an attractive woman, th- there was some serious camel toe going on with the with the uh, the blue thing. Oh, the blue the the blue t- Flash Gordon tights. Yeah, the blue labia tights. Yeah. As they're known. Uh, it also, she also, with the headband and that outfit, looked a bit like uh, uh, circa 1980 Dazzler. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, she was a good-looking lady. She just did not pull, like, they did not do her any favors with, with what they did to her. Mm-hmm. She looked, she had a bit of a Linda Hamilton thing going on. Yeah, she wishes she was Linda Hamilton. Well, yeah, of course. She's the low-rent Linda Hamilton. Now, her, her leader, her filthy rebel superior on the, on the, uh, the surface... He had this smirk that would take Ugh. up half his face and be like, yeah, and I can't describe what it's like. It's like if the Joker had a stroke <laughs> and he only smiled with half his face, it's kind of like that. Hey. How you doing? It just, oh, terrible. <laughs> Not cool. Not at all cool. Uh, <laughs> I have a note here. Uh, at one point, they have to, to beam underground, and they have to drill a hole to do that. And I say, drilling a hole to transport down is kind of cool. I think I've started grading this episode on a curve. A hole is just not that cool. <laughs> I seriously I thought, was looking I for... pretty much the same thing. I was just looking for something to think, all right, that's okay. When I just see how they do things. Okay, well, the, mm-hmm. the ship is orbiting the planet. That's cool. No, it's not. I see that every week. <laughs> hey, there's a spaceship. <laughs> Wow. And there's people in it. So cool. Science. There's a, there's a bit where they say your sister never spoke of you. That's because they just fucking invented her. Cause yep. you know, they just crowbarred her in. Cause somebody thought this was a good idea. Mm-hmm. It was not a good idea. Your sister never spoke of you. Yeah. I also have a brother. His name is Niles and he lives in Seattle. <laughs> His name is Shatara. Shatara. Shatner. Uh, 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 uh. 
So is uh, is the yeah, it's uh, not good. No, it's it's I'm really looking over not. my notes now and the amount of times where I would just type in profanity or drum randomly on the keyboard shows up a lot. Yeah. It's it's really not great. I, I wrote, uh, hey, you know what would make this more entertaining? The Armist voice, and I never think that. Listen, man, everything makes the Armist voice no, The no, Armist no. voice makes everything better. I'm afraid that's simply not true. But in this case, even I have to admit. Oh, they keep talking. Oh. Hmm? She gives the the, the, oh, the filthy yeah. rebels implanted a bomb in, uh, Atara and that's not terrible. Because that's of a, course they did. No, no, no. That's that's and, okay. It goes through a motion sensor and it blows up if you try to escape or whatever. Right. And uh, Crusher removes it, and mm -hmm. she uh, Ashara gives it to Data as like a remembrance present. And all I can think of is, oh, good, another thing for Data's uh, for Data's Yar family junk drawer. <laughs> Very nice. No, and I don't like that because it's like a bomb. Really? Mm -hmm. Here's a bomb. To remember me by. Yep. That doesn't make Me a lick of sense. Here's something to always remember me by. Yep, this definitely reminds me of you, an unexploded tiny thing that's about that's going to ruin everything. <laughs> they, at one point they mentioned that she's in the Coalition or possibly the Cadre. I have no idea which one is which, nor do I care. I thought she was in the Cartel. Uh, maybe the Cartel? I don't know. Something that starts with a C. Camel Toe? <laughs> I think it's Camel Toe. The Cannabis? Yes. I, I have a note here. That is the most camel toe I've seen outside of an actual camel. <laughs> Seriously, you could do a gynecological exam. Like, when the HD comes out, you could totally, like, give her a pap smear just looking at that outfit. Yep. It is it is just ridiculous. Uh, what is it about these, these underground cities? And, again, they do these a lot. Mm -hmm. The underground cities with, this, like, the steam factories. And there's barrels everywhere. Yep. What is in those barrels? Is that where the steam comes from? I like to believe that it's rum. Uh, that could be. Barrels upon barrels of Starfleet yum. 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 Starfleet, Starfleet yum. That could very well be. Oddly enough, called Starfleet yum. <laughs> uh, oh, and then at the end, they take her to the bridge. Which yeah, of I course, because that's where you want your... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's where you want the the traitor to be. Yeah, I I just I I think someone was said take her, told take her to the brig and they heard wrong and they took her to the bridge. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think. Now I didn't I didn't you know the this. brig. Yeah, where we put the people who try to kill us. Oh, brig! I thought you said bridge. I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh, hear this you, is so embarrassing for me. God, the warp engines were were uh, acting up and there was a lot of noise and I just I I could have sworn you said bridge. It didn't make sense to me, but I follow orders. So yeah, you know, like when the captain tells you to do something, you do it. Yeah, and maybe it's that accent. I don't know. I have a problem with that French accent of his. <laughs> I just well, can't. Uh... I'm very disappointed in you. Oh, oh no! no! Now, I did not notice this. This is something Amanda pointed out to me. She watched these episodes with me. And uh, she pointed out that Troy was actually right. Nobody listened to Troy. She said, we can't trust Ashara. She's at, she's lying. She's trying to deceive us. And everyone's like, oh, no, no, no. It's fine. And then oh, she yeah. did. And it's it's just swept aside. She has one line of dialogue and then everyone ignores her. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? I've got to give her props. She was correct this time. All right. Nice job, Troy. That's what? One out of 75? One in a row. Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. Well, hey, that's that's better than uh better you know, uh, better than she's done so far. Mhm. Mm yeah. Right. No, that's one that's uh one win in your uh <laughs> that's one tiny trophy for your shelf. Yes, exactly. One here, take this bomb and put it on your shelf. <laughs> All right. I'm so happy to be right for once. <laughs> I'm so happy. And I, I started keeping track of all the uh, the cliches toward the end. 
Good, good. Won't the killing end? That was a line. Ah. Uh, the coalition is all I've had in a quavery voice. You don't understand. This is the only way of life that here. I've known. And then, of course, at the very end, uh, Data looks longingly at the keepsake. Because fuck yep. you. Uh, I, I knew he was going to do it, so I'm sitting there like, so where's he going to pull it from? He has no pockets. And it turns out he was just carrying it around with him. See, I would have loved if he'd, like, walked into 10 forward and just dropped it in a trash can or something. Yeah. That would have been great. And then gone and sat down with Jordy and had a drink and forgotten all about it. What was that, Data? Some, <laughs> ah, some junk someone gave me. <laughs> I was, uh, now I've purged her from, her mem from my memory where it'll be no tribble at all. I feel great now. <laughs> Everything's so much better. <laughs> Data, that's not healthy. Sure it is. I'm a robot. I can do that kind of thing. <laughs> You're carrying around the pain of 35 years of existence. Me? I only remember the happy stuff. I feel fantastic. And while I don't feel happiness, I can I can objectively measure what happiness is. Mm -hmm. And I can delete the bad stuff. So, everything's coming up data. <laughs> so, fuck you, everybody. Dot com. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, I think we can put a pin in this one. No. Putting a pin in it means we're coming back to it. We're okay, not well, we coming back to it. We can put a pin it. through it. That would be much better. Fortunately, Matt. Let it bleed out. Fortunately, next week, mm -hmm. we actually have two really good episodes. I wish they'd mixed it up a little so we had a bad and a good. But we got the, I think, the two worst out of season four, honestly, done. Oh, thank God for that. And now next week, we're doing uh, a couple of really good ones, so that'll be fun. And our pal Irish Gav will be joining us for that. And it should be a good time for all. Or at least a good time for Al. Mm-hmm. Matt, I don't so much care about. No, I'm kidding, of course. Well, why start now? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. If I suffer, you have to suffer, too. <laughs> the reverse is not true. But, uh... I, I don't care if you like the good ones. It doesn't matter. No, it's it's. we got some good ones coming up, which is nice. And uh, there's, there's some good stuff this season in general. I'd certainly, like, as, as much as I went on and on about season three, I don't want to say four was bad. I don't no, want to no, say no, the show Theoretically declined. into the good years yeah. of Star Trek, for a while now at least. No, what I think, and, and, and there are people who disagree with me. There are people who say season seven is good, and you're entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> but um, I believe the show is like a bell curve. It starts not great. It gets really, really good in the middle, and then it drops off. Like, season six is pretty good, and then season seven is almost all garbage. Mm -hmm. Garbage. But, but I will defend that position episode by episode when we get there. Mm -hmm. So it's not just me making, you know, generalizations. There, There is some real stinkers. Well, they turn into basically everything by that point. Well, there's that, and there's uh, the, the ship becomes self-aware by some kind of train. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the train. The train that makes the ship self-aware. And then they, people start mining it? Y yes. Yes. Uh, and there's um, a Wesley... Uh, the, the conclusion of the Wesley Special Destiny trilogy, yeah. which starts in Season 1 and then picks up here and then ends in Season 7 where the Traveler comes back again. Hey, buddy. Uh, how's it going? Uh, puts his goat hoof on his shoulder. Everything going yeah. all right? Time to transcend to the next fuck you. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get you back in time for Riker and Troy's wedding. Oh, good. Because that's the event that I want to come back for. Not, I hate to miss out on that. Not the Borg invasion, where I might be able to help with my superior scientific knowledge. Not nah. the Dominion War, where I could do the same. Nah. Nah, we'll just come back for our friend's wedding. That's it. <laughs> and then you'll disappear from Trek continuity forever. <laughs> All right, and with that... We will say farewell, and Matt will say his thing, and next week we will be back. See you, folks.
The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.